Hey, Windowsill Chat listeners, I'm so glad you're here with me. I have another treat for you. You may remember a few weeks ago, I shared a special preview of a podcast I've been really loving. It's called Talk Easy. You heard Talk Easy's host, Sam Fragoso, chat with Marina Abramovich about her relationship to Ukraine, her process for creating art, and her motivations. I had such a great response from that preview that I'm sharing another clip from a recent episode of Talk Easy, this time with the wonderful poet, Rupi Kaur. Rupi and Sam have a very honest and emotional discussion about her path to the present. They discuss her college photo series on menstruation that went viral, and her first book, the massively popular self-published poetry collection that followed, called Milk and Honey. Rupi bravely shares what happens when your work is suddenly very public, how she addresses her critics, what she did to fall back in love with writing, and why she's choosing now to make her triumphant return to the stage with a new world tour. You can hear the full episode and more from Talk Easy at talkeasypod.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. For now, here's a preview of Sam's remarkable conversation with Rupi Kaur. For the last 12 years, you've been on this train that that hasn't stopped. To understand that, I think we have to go back to that Instagram post of you in college at the University of Waterloo. You're taking a class for visual rhetoric. You create this class project. For people that may not be familiar, what was this project? So I majored in rhetoric studies, and so the teacher, professor, uh, was like, Okay, I want you to create some sort of visual works that tackles taboo. And at the time, I was dabbling in photography a lot because I always say poetry is just one of many mediums that I use. And so I had wanted to do this work around menstruation periods because, like, I've always struggled with my period um, with endometriosis. You had to go in and out of hospitals. Yeah, hospital visits. When I would get my period, it would be so painful. I just wanted to, like, hurt myself. And my mom would have to like hold me down and be like, it's going to be fine. And I would be like, oh, I hate being a girl. I hate being a girl. And then I was like, I really need to stop saying this and like start loving some part of it somehow. And so I got this idea. And then when the professor was like, we want to work, tackle some sort of taboos, I was like, okay, periods like two birds with one stone. So I (laughs) went back home to where my parents live, got my little sister to help me. We shot a series of six photos. My mom was like, what are you all doing? I'm more like concocting blood and stuff. And she's like, I'm scared. I don't want to I don't want to know. And unfortunately, everybody and their mom found out later. And she was (laughs) like, oh, my God, I should have stopped you. Anyways, I posted one of the images online because we were studying the way people react to the same art differently depending on the space that it is in. And so I took this photograph of me lying down. It's kind of like how so many women who menstruate wake up like, oh, Saturday, shit, I got my period and I have like a stain. I posted it in different places. It was fine on Tumblr and it was fine in a lot of other places. And then Instagram is where it was not fine. I honestly didn't think that it was going to be controversial 
because at the time I'd been writing about sexual abuse, violence. I even was writing about periods. So this photograph to me was just like the regular schmegular thing that I was doing, which I think was very naive of me to think because those were just words. And this was a photograph and this was much more disturbing for some people. So my readership, they were fine with it. But once that photo sort of like left my space and got to other spaces, Instagram removed it. And then um, I posted a second time, removed it again. And then it ended up just sort of like going viral. It was on the front page of everything in 2015. I was so scared because people were so mad. 50% of people were like, this is amazing. And the other 50% were like, we are going to rape and kill you. And I was like, I'm so anxious now. You said in Rolling Stone, I think from that day, this anxiety came upon me that's never left. An endless stream of hate that came from every corner of the planet. It was so much. I was like, regular kid, you know, going to college, putting my little poems up on Instagram. It was like all of the opinions. Nobody told me log off and stop reading this shit. So I sat there taking in and then it was like all of the emails coming in. I don't know how people found out about my emails. It was on the Punjabi radio stations in my parents' hometown. Like that's how my mom found out. When the Punjabi uncles are talking about it on the local radio station, just assume everybody knows about it. And it's just and, you know, she was like, oh, my God, why did you do this? My dad was like, I don't even get it. What's the big deal? People get periods. Move it along. And I was like, oh, thank God. But it was really scary. I think it was just like it's not human to have that much attention and it's not natural to have that many eyes looking at you. But I think I immediately disassociated from my body and I don't think. I stepped back into my body till about 2020. Well, before you step back into your body, you do release Milk and Honey first on your own self-publishing, I think, Amazon platform it was. Yes. The next year, 2015, is that right? Yes. It gets republished. Mm -hmm. I was so scared when a publisher approached me because I was like, they're going to tell me to take this out and change this and do that. And they were like, no, we just want this. I think I was very unapologetic in the way that I wrote about sexual abuse and I wasn't trying to hide it. And that only came from the fact that I didn't think that it was going to become a book and sell like over eight million copies. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was writing it for me and my like 10 friends and the end. <laughs> it was not the end. You wrote the book at 18, 19 and 20. This book becomes massively popular. As you just said, you thought it was only going to be for you. Yeah, I feel like I'm 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 judging up uh, anxiety. I can feel the anxiety. I'm inheriting it I'm right now. I think I'm still not like I don't know. I think it's really fucked up. I think it's what's so, fucked up. Just like how the personal becomes so big. Like it went from being back at college, and I'm like writing, writing, writing. All the girls are getting ready for the club. I'm putting on my mascara and editing at the same time. And you're multitasking, um, multitasking always. And um, it was definitely very easy for me to write about certain things when I didn't think that the number of people who are reading them now were going to read them. I cannot write about my experiences with sexual abuse in the ways that I used to write them in that first book. I can't write about them like that now. Why is that? Because I know that there's millions of people watching. And that is like, I don't want to feel naked. Yeah. 
But isn't the reason people like you so much is because <sighs> yeah, you are naked on the yeah. page? Yeah. And I love doing it for them. Like when I am on stage and I'm connecting with them, I'm like, fuck, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. But then when it's the other people who perhaps don't like you very much and they take something that's like your lived experience and then they rape you to shreds for it. I think that's very hard. That's when I'm like, oh, my God, do I regret doing this or do I not? I think people just forget that these are real life experiences I don't want to keep having to defend them. There's, of course, plenty of, as you're talking about, negative press that has been written. Mm-hmm. And I, as you know, because you listen to the show and, and um, I read everything before <laughs> these. So I just had a couple of days of reading every horrible thing I could find. And it's unnerving. Mm-hmm. Ew. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like, I wasn't built for this. I just want to go home and write. But it is it is what it is. It's like what I signed up for, I guess. Yeah. I think it's fine. I'm also tired of lying and saying I don't care anymore. Because the more I say I don't care, the more obvious it is, obvious it is that I do care. You know, it's it's okay to say that it's not fine. Yeah. At least on this show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. When you say you're not built for this, mm-hmm. I can see it. it's like, it's like eating at you. Yeah. I think that writing was something that I truly loved and it made me become the person I am today. Like, as I was writing Milk and Honey, I was... I went from girl to woman through that book. Then writing became a very scary and triggering thing. Like I couldn't walk into bookstores. I didn't want to hear the word poetry. I didn't even want to hear the word book. Like people would say that and my entire body would just like, because it was so many things like when when is the next one coming? And like, how do I recreate the success of the first one again? Like that ate at me and just made me so sick. People expect you to do that. Two months, I was given to write the second book. And of course, I did not meet that deadline. But then all of a sudden, everyone's like, well, you know, if you don't hurry up, if you take a break, you're just here today, gone tomorrow. And then this ambitious part of me who did the self-publishing, who did all that, was like, wait a minute. But I like did work really hard. And I don't want to be here today, gone tomorrow. So I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Keep doing it. It's like a very hard balance. And Homebody, the third one, is about me trying to actually be like, let me write the book that I need to write. Because The Sun and Her Flowers was the book that I thought the world wanted me to write. I always used to wonder, well, what's this recipe? What was the recipe of milk and honey? I need to figure out the recipe so I can make the cake again. And the recipe was that I was just being honest with me and only writing for me. And there's such a freedom in that because then the poetry just sort of comes by itself. And the thing is, when you are honest and you dig into the most like vulnerable parts of you, that is a feeling that's most universal. You said, with the first book, I kept thinking, is this all a mistake? Am I just a one hit wonder? Then the second book happened 
And I realized that I can do this a third, fourth, and fifth time. I just want to give it time. I just want to create the best thing going forward. When I'm 89 years old, lying in my bed somewhere, I want to feel good about what I've done. Mm -hmm. Do you think you're on your way to being that 89-year-old now? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I promised myself I'm never going to sign another book contract. <laughs> that has freed my creativity. They get the book when I tell them they're getting the book, and they will be happy with the book that they get. <laughs> That's the rule. And um, it's allowed me to become creative again. I don't tense up when I hear the word poetry, and I'm falling back in love with the thing that people say they love me for. And so it's so funny because it took so long to get there. But um, I mean, I already wrote a fourth book, but only because I had to free myself from the ability to do so, you know, learn to get off the train and then like hop back on with a nice coffee, get off in a couple stops, smell the flowers and then get back on sort of thing. Well, I wish that for you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Ruby Core, thank you for the time. Thank you so much. That was a preview of Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, a podcast from Pushkin Industries. You can hear more of Talk Easy wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining me today.